So, uh, Mark, we are currently on November 5th, Thursday, around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. Um, the votes have been coming in. We still do not know a definitive winner. We did an election live coverage around 48 hours ago. Uh, it was really, really fun. Four hours straight. You personally went over some electoral maps, and you were the one among all of our panelists who predicted a Biden landslide of 375 electoral votes. I wanted to get some of your thoughts on how that was and what the hell is going on right now. Okay, well, clearly that didn't happen. We didn't get the 375 that I predicted. Um, but if you look at the count that's happening now with a favorable outcome in Arizona, in Nevada, Georgia, Philadelphia, uh, or Pennsylvania rather, but basically Philadelphia, you could see Joe Biden come above 300 electoral votes. So I was closer to right than I was to wrong, but I was still pretty wrong. So I understand that. I think what I was expecting or probably more hoping for was a sort of major repudiation of the president across multiple groups throughout the country. And whereas you saw him slightly pick up um, Joe Biden, that is, pick up, repick up Democratic ground in working class white neighborhoods, maybe marginal amounts, enough to get him over the top in Wisconsin and Michigan and probably Pennsylvania. He didn't get the, the wholesale um, repudiation. He, didn't, he actually lost ground among key um, minority groups, uh, specifically Latinos, was the most, um, for, the for biggest, Biden, the biggest disappointment Biden. for yes. Biden, yeah, and Texas and other places like that. So I think the Democratic Party is getting a mixed bag result. I think they're still going to get the White House, and that's the key thing, obviously, for them. But in House races, very disappointing result. They're not going to be able to control the redistricting um, as they had hoped. And that means probably, again, republic um, domination of that process for the next 10 years. So it's, it's, a, disappointing. it's a disappointing night. But at the same point, you are going to have a Democratic president. You are going to have Trump out of office. Um, but as you mentioned, Trump has been defeated. But Trumpism has not gone quietly into the night, as a lot of people had hoped. There are a couple working hypotheses I would love to run by you. Okay. First is that, uh, just based on my own personal experience, I think on election night, I experienced two cognitive dissonances. <clears throat> That's what I said at the beginning of uh, the previous recording of by myself, and also what I said in our morning daily email uh, to our subscribers. By cognitive dissonance, which is that I, I mean that it's a huge disconnect from what I previously believed was going to happen and what was going to happen. And the first was that uh, I, I was not prepared for the red mirage, even though I personally did not really trust the polls or the forecast. And I wrote a whole op-ed about why Nate Silver could be wrong. But Trump still won so many states. He did everything that he needed to do up until like midnight back then in order to keep winning. And then everybody went to bed that night thinking that Trump might actually have the chance to win this thing. I mean, and the second- I topic, didn't. Well, you didn't, you really had your faith, but you, that night when I called you, you were really, really disappointed at how wrong the polls were. And, and the, the second dissonance that kicked in was that the morning when we woke up and saw Michigan and, and Wisconsin flip back to Biden and how the red mirage started to fade and urban votes started to come in, there's another cognitive dissonance kicked in for people, which is that people now start to say, oh, no, 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 the polls weren't really, I mean, yes, they were off, but they weren't not off. I mean, we've always been, you know, Biden could have always won. Nate Silver was right that Biden would eventually win this thing. So we went from an overcorrection, overreaction of, oh my God, what the hell is going on with the Democratic Party? They really need to fix this thing to now saying, as what you literally just said, we could still get 300 more than of us, <laughs> as if this weren't already enough of a, symbolic loss for the Democratic Party already, in, in some major sense. Yeah, I think, I think I fall into the second group, for sure, of, like, you, you before this election, obviously, before November 3rd, uh, certainly earlier in the year, I think a lot of people had doubts that Joe Biden would be able to defeat Donald Trump. 
but with the coronavirus, with all these things coming to play, Black with, Lives Matter. with BLM and all the problems the, the president is having, it's like you, you start, and the polls going in the right direction, you start yeah. to buy in a little more. And to be fair, to Nate Silver's defense, which I know you don't want to hear, but he did, even on November 3rd, the day of the election, he's like, it's, a, it's anywhere from a nail-biter to a blowout. And I chose... What? I, what? Uh, yeah, no. Okay, I'm saying <laughs> I, I chose blowout. We got nail-biter. But, <laughs> but there was plenty of people who had foreseen this. And again, if you look, the polls were wrong to a certain extent. That still is an ongoing issue. But the result we got was one that was accounted for. Yes, there are problems with how clearly either how the polling is doing, how the people are responding to those polls, or how Nate Silver is interpreting those polls. But end of the day, Biden won. So, Mark, just to digest your thoughts a little bit more, I guess. What is going on right now with the Democratic Party? I mean, there's been a lot of everybody is, is saying this is somewhat of a symbolic loss for the Democratic Party uh, uh, because it's not the landslide that they wish to see. It is even somewhat of an indictment on the Democratic Party's leadership, especially the establishment and how they ran this campaign, how they rallied their base. And yeah, they just didn't do a good job. I think it's a crisis of identity, essentially. Um, I think you're going to have this problem where now the Democratic Party, since 2018, has, with their suburban gains, with the gains among suburban women, um, people of that demographic, where they felt like, okay, Trump, he's disgusted by, you know, sort of more middle class, upper middle class people. That's where we are going to um, make our gains, and then you have Joe Biden come in and say, you know, we gotta, we gotta keep the suburbs, we gotta keep, you know, the ideology broad. We're a big tent party, and once again, just like in 2016, I think you're seeing it's a lot harder to run a campaign where you have essentially no core beliefs whatsoever and no core ideology. Um, I think, it, again, it'll be enough because of the, 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 the hatred of Donald Trump and the disgust for him is so widespread that he'll get enough votes to win. But he didn't get enough votes to win back the U.S. Senate like he told everyone he would. He didn't win back enough seats. Um, or he lost seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. They lost state house seats. And so I think, again, you're seeing this failure of the Democratic Party, which doesn't really have an identity. It doesn't to, to have- To come up with a message. To come up with a message, exactly. Are we the party of the working class? Clearly not, since um, we're losing people across Amer in the American heartland, which are supposed to be the backbone of the Democratic Party. Okay, are we, the, are we the party of minorities? Clearly not, since Latino voters are fleeing the party, which is not responding to their interests. And right now, Joe Biden is being bailed out essentially by um, by African-American yes. voters across America who are honestly getting more than what like giving Joe Biden more than they should who essentially in my in my mind I mean Joe Biden is going to be president because of black voters across America who clearly do not favor Donald Trump but even that Donald Trump has made gains in that constituency so it's clear that the Democratic Party needs to take a look at itself very hardly. Even if they win the presidency tonight, they need to do what the Republican Party did in 2012, which is really sit down and say, okay, who are we for? Who are we targeting? What is our message? And what is our ideology, essentially? I think they're quite far from coming to a consensus, right? Absolutely not. And that, and that, that problem is going to get even bigger. You saw Congresswoman um, Abigail Spanberger today essentially on a call with the Democratic caucus, freaking out, crying essentially into the phone saying, we need to, the, we need to stop saying the word socialist. I don't want to ever hear the word defund the police again, the phrase defund the police again. I almost lost my race over this. And you have other Democrats on the call saying, look, they're going to call us socialists no matter what. They're going to call us this no matter what. We can't just give up on all the things that make us progressive or Democrat or left-leaning people just to try and appeal to some broad you know, consensus, because clearly that's not working. So how can you blame the left again for that And I that believe failure? the progressive Democrats actually picked up a lot of, 
a lot of grounds this election season, which you, they would argue that it shows the slow burn of the progression to, to of the Democratic Party moving to, to the left. So I think there's a constant tension throughout this election season, which is basically saying, wh who are the Democrats, right? So there are people who say the, the Twitter, the Reddit, obviously do not represent the centrist establishment backbone Democrats. And that is honestly the reason why you chose Joe Biden to be the candidate is because even though people say he doesn't have energy, even though people say he, he is old or whatever, you can't have Pete Buttigieg because he, he's gay. You can't have Amy Klobuchar because whatever reason. You can't have Bernie and Warren because they're too left. So eventually everybody ended up with Joe Biden because they thought he would appeal to the greatest number of centrist Democrats. And the working assumption is that most Democrats are still centrist. Is, is, is that working assumption wrong somehow? That, that we, we I think after 2016, and especially after 2020, it is impossible to make that argument anymore. I mean, they blamed sort of the Bernie Sanders crowd in 2016 for the low enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton. They're already trying to blame the left as, oh, you guys are the reason why most Americans um, don't like the Democratic Party. And it's just not true. If you look across America, progressives have, are winning their congressional races. And the, the guy who we were told to get behind, Joe Biden, who's going to be the one no one can have any issue with. I mean, 67 million people at this point voted against him. And so clearly there, there is that, that is just not holding, to be honest. And, and, I mean, people really thought that Joe Biden would appeal to so many people, and especially white working class people. Exactly. Uh, and, and this is somewhat of a disappointment to see what is going on. And, and I do think that the valid debate is here because Trump is the, is the president who cut tax for the rich. At least that seems to be the, the, the narrative, while, while people on the right may, may come up with different sets of facts. But assuming that the Republican Party is the one that's pro-business, that is pro-capital, and Democrat is the party that is pro-labor, that is pro-raising the minimum wage, pro-labor union formation, pro-better health care, and such and so on, why are the... Why are the, the, the working class people shifting away from Democrats? And I think one working hypothesis is that the woke movement, they, they really thought they're, they're threatened by the woke movement, at least in the sense like, I'm white, I'm a working class man, I have certain beliefs that I've always grown up with, and somehow Hillary Clinton is telling me that I'm despicable, you know, other people are telling me that I'm racist, and I found refuge in Trump. And Trump said all the stuff that people really wanted to hear. For example, we need to stop immigration. I mean, that seems to be something on people's mind, which is that, are we actually having too much immigration? I mean, by the way, I'm, I'm an immigrant here. I'm not taking a, <laughs> taking a, a view on this issue, but that seems to be something uh, on people's mind, which is that, and, and Trump said all those things out loud, right? So, um, I think that's a fair analysis too, but you have to look at it, like in Florida, they had a referendum to raise the minimum wage to $15. And I think that passed with about 70% of the vote in a state where Joe Biden also lost, the, like, <laughs> So to me, it's conflicting. It's it, the confliction is that it is it is not a policy, an economic policy that that is unpopular for the Democrats. We have very popular economic policies, but our messaging refuses to embrace that that economic policy that put forward. I mean, Joe Biden's platform supported a fifteen dollar minimum wage. I didn't even know that until yesterday, and I think a lot of Americans didn't either. So I get that 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 position that okay, we need to go for like a a Joe Manchin style, you know, social conservatism. Yes, which is funny. With, it, with, 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 the, with economic populism. <laughs> and I think that is just another way of sort of shifting around saying, no, we... How we, can we be a little bit more Republican? How can we be more Republican? <laughs> and being more Republican, we can't do it. It's just not going to work. It, it, we can, we're not going to give up on, you know, abortion and gun control and things that are very, very, you know, important, central. essential to democratic ideology. You can't just, just shove those things out the, the window because we think that it's going to help us win more votes. We have to have a coherent ideology, an agenda that's for the people, that's for the working class, um, and not some catch-all, wishy-washy, milk-toast agenda that we think will get us an extra 100,000 suburban votes. So basically, the really trying to catch-all platform is in, indeed what actually didn't end up working. Because the, the hypothesis was that if you went in with someone like Bernie, who is energetic, but polarizing or whatever, 
people would immediately, you know, flock away from him because he's a socialist. But the issue is people are calling Joe Biden a socialist as well. Anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, moving on, I think there's another interesting thing is uh, we will likely end up with a Biden presidency, McConnell-led Republican majority uh, Senate, and then Democratic-controlled House, which means we will probably see Absolutely a replay nothing. of Obama Tea Party drama resulting in little actual... So Biden is not going to raise the actual tax. I mean, we, we tried to explain this a little bit in, in live stream, but we, we didn't actually get into it because the, the economic recovery is too nascent. Uh, if you immediately raise taxes on businesses or individuals, people will lose their incentive to consume and you can't really do that. So Biden has said repeatedly that on the first day of his presidency, he will raise the taxes, which I think maybe in certain parts like capital gains or something, but he will not implement the truly kind of, you know, broad-based progressive taxation, public finance reforms that will actually need to be done in order to fund something that is way more progressive, like universal healthcare or, or cutting down a deficit. So you will not have the tax agenda until much later. You will not get climate change because that's you, you, the whole Republican side is gone. And even if you have a Senate majority, there are people like Joe Manchin who will probably not vote for a climate change bill. So you're, you're really going to struggle to get through those major progressive causes anyways. So what else? Fiscal stimulus? It would be much smaller than a blue sweep scenario. So Wall Street and everybody is disappointed. So will Biden just become a lame duck president four years relying on executive action? I think that that is an incredibly accurate analysis. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're looking at this point at basically a second term Obama scenario where I think Joe Biden will probably not being able to get much done on the domestic front, get much done through Congress. He will probably, in my mind at least, focus more on foreign policy, try and do things, more symbolic gestures, like getting back into the Paris Climate Accord, um, doing as much through you know, the regulatory sphere as possible to roll back what the, the, environmental. the environmental stuff, try and rework the Iran deal and really, because to be honest, foreign policy is really where Joe Biden seems to be most, most passionate about anyway before this um, election. And I think he will try and probably get, the, if there was one major legislative accomplishment he will probably get in his entire, entire four years, it'll probably be a, a stimulus bill of some size. Probably won't be as big as the one that they would have gotten, honestly, with if Nancy Pelosi had got it done now yeah. and, and Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell, but that didn't happen for other reasons. And, you know, if you're a Democrat, it, it's, it's sad, honestly, because you're thinking, okay, well, we... We kind of tried to push this this the stimulus bill off till Joe's going to get elected because he's going to get the Senate. We're going to have a blue sweep. We're going to have a blue sweep. We're going to have you know everything we want. It's going to be a spending spree. Every <laughs> every every wish list we, item we want. You know we're not going to get our gifts by Christmas, but we're going to get it in January. <laughs> everything, and and that's just not going to. That just doesn't appear to be the reality as of now. Listen, the, we still don't know what'll happen. In Georgia, you still have those runoffs potentially um, that could go a, a, a blue way, but it doesn't look good. So this is my concern slash question then is, with the Biden presidency, I don't mean to sound too op uh, op pessimistic. I really don't mean to. It, well, it, it seems to be more of a let's try to stop the Republican Party and Trump for four years rather than saying let's really push for democratic agenda for four years, right? And, and usually what we saw in 20, 2008, what we saw in uh, 2016 is that when people elect a, new, elect a new president, they usually give you everything, right? Full House, full Senate, and you get it for two years. You can do whatever you want. Obama used it on uh, you know, uh, Obamacare. Um, uh, Trump used it on tax cuts and such and so on, but, but you do get that. Biden will be a president who starts with, with, without this. And people are already saying, and he himself even has expressed that he might just be a one-term president because of his age, and he would like to pass it down, and such and so on. So what does this leave us? I mean, this, this seems to be quite a sad situation. And also, Bernie Sanders, to be honest, lost out quite a bit, right? I mean, that, that, uh, that he, I wouldn't say he's screwed by the process, but he certainly didn't, didn't benefit that much. And the Republicans simply, in the next few months, until January, they will try their best to... 
uh, again, this is not a partisan statement, but what I would do, if you, or probably what we would all do if you were shrewd politicians, you destroy everything to, to, to not pave the way for your opponent. You will oppose your opponent for as much as possible. And then maybe the Republicans might even pick up more seats in 2022. Uh, and, and so people right now saying that 2022 Senate will turn blue and therefore Biden will... I mean, that sounds to me like if you are relying... <laughs> the success of the next four years on the fact that you might get a majority in the Senate in two years later. I mean, that already sounds as risky and flimsy as it could get. And also, uh, Trump might run in 2024 or something. I don't know, the clause or something. Could he? I mean, so, like, they'll just come up with another Trump for, for, for the, the next four years, basically using the next four years to rile people up, block any legislation that is possible to prevent progress and whatever progress you make will be climate, whatever, that will not fundamentally change the, the Republican base enthusiasm for Trumpism and their hate towards democratic policies. And if you go do diplomacy, which is what you were just saying, I think they will revert to, uh, again, Obama era diplomacy, which was widely, to be honest, rejected by a lot of voters. They, they call them globalists, they call them whatever. Again, not saying they're right or wrong, but that's how people felt. And, and that was part of the reason why they wanted America first. They wanted tr trade protectionism. They wanted to do those things. So I don't think the, this election result is at all the, the voters coming out and saying, hey, guys, we really need globalization. We need to go back to climate change, Paris Agreement. We need to go back to engaging uh, with Iran and such and so on. And if you end up doing those through executive action without making enough, you know, legislative progress, it might be even a worse place for Democrats four years later. No, that's that's again, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think <laughs> I, once again, I mean, Democrats are going to be on defense for the foreseeable future into into 2022, into 2024 and probably for the next decade, especially with the way that redistricting will, will potentially go and reapportionment. So it's tough because, as we know, incumbent presidents, their parties do not typically do well in midterm elections. They don't. Um, you're going to have an easy boogeyman for, for the Republican uh, base in Joe Biden, as, as we've seen. Nancy Pelosi is who even knows if she'll be able to, to get her caucus and retain her speakership even now after the results of this election. And so there's... The Democratic Party, in many ways, is exactly where it is, where it was, you know, four years ago, as it is today. Even with the Joe Biden victory, it's very, it's a rudderless ship, honestly. And honestly, in some sense, Trump losing isn't that bad for him. He could do whatever the hell he wants, right? He 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 didn't finish his full two terms, so he could always say, uh, "There's some kind of fraud, or there's some kind of regret." I'm still always out there. He he is still very much. He will still be. The party's leader and he will still be even if he's not the actual leader he will be the spiritual leader leader yeah. yes absolutely and i don't know if donald trump jr or some other person you know that will, that will come out and eventually replace him like tom cotton or someone else or nikki Haley, josh right? holly sure but i mean um okay no. let, me, let me ask you this which is a poignant question okay would the country have been better off if Trump won the election, absolutely not. With, with, and I don't mean to say it in in a partisan sense. So yes, if if we are on the on the left, we we think his policies such as tax cuts, exacerbates inequality, his rollback of EPA, uh, climate change actions are, are are bad. And I agree with you. His his rollback of healthcare and such and so on. All I'm saying is in terms of for the country to progress in some way. To, to keep moving forward, to make economic progress, to pass stimulus bills, whatever. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better had, had we maintained the status quo to be more effective governance than a lame duck presidency of Joe Biden? That's a very devil's advocate opinion that and I wanted to throw out to you. Yeah, it's a very devil's advocate opinion. I disagree for sure. Because okay. if you, Tiger, if you look at the devastation that this president has <laughs> overseen, in my opinion, over the last four years, you have now more than 200,000 people dead from coronavirus. Probably many, many thousands more will die. His appalling decisions on the climate, he's denigrated our country abroad. 
through uh, our our allies' Again, opinions to, of us. Through a liberal perspective, though, if you are not liberal, you wouldn't think that he did anything wrong, and you would think that his governance has been quite effective. He passed the he passed tax cuts. He staffed. He staffed. which dramatically helped the wealthy. Pro-business, I would say, if you're business, if you're Wall Street, if you are on the camp, you would say that's effective government, effective conservative policy passing. Okay, well, if you're pro-American, you think that it's an egregious giveaway to billionaires and corporations. Sure. Mark, all I'm saying is things at least got passed, one could say. Things at least got through when Trump was the president and Biden didn't get anything through. That's a, that's a, that's a criticism they will say. Um, and, and, and they will say Biden... It's like a progress here and there and such and so on. Okay, and I'm saying, and again, that goes back to what I was saying with the Democrats failing to have a true identity, and that's that's a continued problem. But again, Trump got done in his first two years of his presidency what most presidents do when they, when they have right. a unified control of the government. I mean, right. Barack Obama got the Affordable Care Act done. He got the relief for the economic crisis, and that was pretty much, when we look back at his eight years of presidency, those two years were the most consequential. He got... Those, those were his big legislative achievements. His lasting legacy is essentially the Affordable Care Act, especially after Trump removed him like, from the Iran deal and all the international agreements that he tried to get done. Yeah. So I get what you're saying, but I think it's an unfair comparison because yes. Joe Biden is going into this with a, a, divided, a divided government. He's going into this with a divided country. Yes. And... Yes, I 100% absolutely would rather have him president than Donald Trump president. If I had to lose, yes. if I had to lose both houses of Congress, I would rather do that and have uh, the presidency, especially with the expansion of, of executive power and all the things that go along with that. I see. Uh, but you are optimistic that this will, Biden will become president. I mean, yes. We're, we're, we don't know when we will release this uh, current recording, but maybe by the time we record, we, we release this, Nevada and Georgia and Pennsylvania will be called. Biden is within 3,000 votes of Trump and Georgia right now. This is, this is so extremely close, right? Yes. Um, Razor-thin margins in all these states. And, he only, and Joe Biden only needs one at this point. So I do think he will become president. The, the pollsters are wrong, are they? <laughs> the pollsters are off. Wrong, wrong is too strong of a word. The pollsters were once again off by... About acceptable three margins, you're saying? No, not acceptable margins. <laughs> but I was uh, on a on a call with an economist. That he was uh, saying that uh, <laughs> posters are making economists look good. So that that is what is uh, somewhat happening these days. Um, what is what do you think is going on currently in the political climate? What what do you think it says about this country? Everybody's talking about polarization. I think everybody starting on election nights realized. That, that thing really kicked in their mind, which is that, wait a second, really, sincerely, that many people still believe in Trump. And if you are not a Trump supporter, if you truly believe that he's evil and bad in all those sort of ways, you, you would be appalled and you, 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 you can't overcome that mental barrier anymore. So, and I think that that was the same for so many confused people. And I think people would remain to be confused. Is that your diagnosis on, on what is going on right now? I don't think I don't think I'm confused. I think it just the election clearly reveals again that we are living uh, in a time of basically two Americas, of very very different groups of people with very very different beliefs. Um, and I saw a tweet by Andrew Yang today um, that said he basically said something along the lines of, "If 68 million people are doing something, we should probably figure out why they're doing that." And I think that's that's true. I mean. Donald Trump is probably on track to, to pick up 70 million votes in this election. There are clearly people who are very passionate about what he is, what he represents, um, and, I don't think and what he does. I, I really sincerely don't think people are all people who vote for him are just racist. I really no, don't and think I think, a, and I think, and again, I think that's the kind of messaging that has led Joe Biden to be in this position tonight, where. You just there. You you didn't have given people something to vote for. Yes, you can win this election because of how terrible this president has done, rooted by running against him and just saying he's just a terrible guy. But in future elections where you have a president who isn't totally incompetent, who but who basically stands for the exact same things, you're gonna have to give people something to vote for, and you're gonna have to seriously win back those heartland Americans, uh, those Latinos, um, and, and boost and, turnout. And dude, without COVID, Trump probably would have won. 
Without COVID and the George Floyd Black with, Lives Matter. Without a doubt in my, in my with, mind. Without those two without incidents. Without a doubt. Even with those two things, major events happening that complete dramatically shift the social discourse, people still voted for Trump. And that is why I sent out the email back in August warning our, our podcast team members why I think Trump may win, which is that I, th- I think people don't treat this COVID-19 as a tremendous failure on President Trump's part. At least so many people. I mean... There, I think valid arguments we made. Oh, it's the American political system's failure in general. There's, it's a been a complete, uh, you know, uh, lack of understanding of the virus and the urgency of the crisis by the state. The state capacity just didn't function well. But a lot of people would say, I don't think that's Donald Trump's personal fault and such and so on. So I think people really could come up with really good justifications regarding why they would vote for Trump, and if Trump had enacted any policy that did benefit them, such as tax cuts, such as some other diplomacy actions, you know, like anti-China, whatever stance that people did agree with, these people would very easily feel comfortable and happy to vote for Trump. So I think for people who already disagree with Trump, the COVID-19 response was almost icing on the cake that really showed how bad Trump was. But for people who did support Trump, the COVID-19 thing was, again, icing on the cake that didn't really touch the substance. So um, that, that is why I think, yes, indeed, as you said, people on the left really need to think about what, what needs to, to happen to reformat the conversation. And I really think we, 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 we desperately need an integrated, reformatted conversation because I don't think it's helpful for the left to immediately call Trump voters racist just as don't, I don't think it's, it's helpful for the right to immediately call people on the left socialists. And, 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 and I think that's just extremely polarizing and it's gonna keep going down a bad path. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with the heart of what you're saying. I don't agree with the equivalency uh, necessarily. <laughs> um, I think there are definitely genuine arguments you can make about why Trump or certain Trump acolytes are in fact racist. Uh, whereas Joe Biden is not a socialist. I don't think any any way you could describe it. But yes, I, I agree with what you're saying in, in heart. Um, but and, and to be honest, uh, even just to, for our listeners' benefit, I don't truly consider people like Joe Biden or even Bernie Sanders to be you know, socialist, socialist per se. I mean, I remember uh, interviewing Branko Milanovic, who you know, he, he wrote the book Capitalism Alone and is one of the most... Uh, frontier scholars on the left really advocating for tax reforms and, and studying those issues. And he said something during our interview, which is quite fascinating. He was like, what Bernie and, and Warren advocated for are, are, are taxing the creme de la creme, right? They, 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 they don't really dare to do anything that a true socialist, <laughs> maybe like, like Branko Milanovic would do, which is that you should tax like the broader middle class, like 80% or something. You should tax <laughs> like, 50% of Americans over 80% or something. And these policies is unutterable in, 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 in America. What the, the Warren's radical proposal is let's tax afterwards the 50 million, 2% after you make $50 million. And people are already outraged by that. So one of my really good friends and our fellow panelists, uh, panelists uh, that night on the election live stream, Arjun Mani, Arjun was saying that uh, he is somewhat frustrated that Americans are so easily scared by a phrase like socialism and, and to, to not really look into the substance and, and push for progress. Right. And I think that goes, goes back to the polarization in the media. And we've talked about this before, where there's just different segments of our country are just living in completely different political cultures now. Shared reality. You, shared reality, where you have people who are watching Fox News and they see Joe Biden, who's you know, going to usher in the United States Soviet and he's coming to destroy America. He's and, corrupt with uh, the Ukrainian government. Yes, and, 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 and he's, and he's going to do the Green New Deal and destroy it and you're not going to be able to get a hamburger and all this yeah. stuff. <laughs> and then you go on, on Twitter and we're like our sphere, a younger person. And to us, to many people, you know, on like sort of the younger online left, it's like, you know, Joe Biden is a Republican to us. Like you, could, <laughs> you cannot go further right. What, what the things that Bernie are, are proposing to many people, maybe not to me, but to many people, are, are like middle of the road, milk toast, European social democratic you know, proposals. These are, these are basic, hey, maybe everyone should get health care like and, they do and in and every Biden's country. Biden's plan is so far from, so the far Euro- from that. European, you know, he, so he really far from tried that. his best to bring the balance. 
Exactly. Yeah, Biden really tried his best. I mean, Kobe, you go back to the Affordable Care Act, which now, as Democrats, we have to defend tooth and nail every year. And what is that? It's, it's essentially government-mandated private insurance. Right. I mean, and this is, this is where we are. This is who Joe, what Joe Biden ran on. Uh, and it, again, it'll kind of work out for him, but not really. But not really. So well, there needs to be a vision and a direction for the Democratic Party, again, going forward. Uh, I, I think just to conclude this conversation, I, I want to tie back to this phrase, uh, cognitive dissonance. I kept using I Personally, first of all, I'm just trying to sound smart. I don't know what that phrase means. You're but, failing. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I really do think that people often come up with whatever narrative that is needed to justify their thing. They, they can find whatever facts they can. And I think this time there will be large swaths of the people who would say, oh, this is a rejection of Trump. And some people would say, this is not a rejection of Trump. And that is really why I think the Democrats are in such a tricky position, because within the Democratic Party, after this election, they will be split. People on the left will be split. Half of them will think, oh my God, we really screwed up, and Trump is still there. While the other half says, we did a great job. Like Biden really, well, of course, Biden's supporters and Biden's team would say, what are you talking about, guys? We ran a fantastic campaign, we, we won this. Whereas other people would say, what are you talking about, dude? You should have won on the landslide. So, which side of it is the truth? It's hard to say. I mean, it's the same facts, different interpretations, and people come up with different narratives for this. And it goes back to you, you saying that people are in different shared realities. I mean, it's so hard to bring people together in sh shared realities, especially with social media, because it fundamentally changes the way we, we perceive and receive information. And to, for that reason, dude, I am really, really not optimistic. I, I'm, I'm not optimistic. Uh, yeah, I'm not optimistic either. Um, <laughs> and not to sound dystopian, but I think the, the difference, again, between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party is there are different shared realities, but the Republican Party is all within their own one shared reality, <laughs> if that makes <laughs> that, sense. Which is great. <laughs> when Donald Trump was elected, despite all the, 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 the Republicans, the, the never-Trumpers before, the, the Republican Party completely gave themselves over to Trump the minute he was elected. Every, every single elected Republican. Except maybe Mitt Romney and John McCain. Yes. And John McCain is not in office anymore, and Mitt Romney uh, is just fine getting his Supreme Court nomination. That, that's all he wanted. So other than that, it, the ideology is, is very, very coherent. The ideology of the Republican Party is whatever Donald Trump says it is. And that has worked out for them. If you go over to the Democratic Party, it's, it's like 10 different shared realities. You have one that the, the suburban, more you know, middle of the road centrist, Michael Bloomberg Democrats. Yes. You have the, the anarchists on the other far end. You have the, the, the Bernie people in the middle, the K-Hive. It's like, it's like a bunch of totally different people with totally different agendas. And again, this, you know, the big tent thing is great, but it, it's not a winning coalition. If, if no one even knows what, what they stand for, or what they're voting for, it may work when you have someone to vote against, like Donald Trump, but in four years, when you have to vote for uh, either Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or whoever it might be, that's gonna be a problem. And in two years also, it'll be a problem, especially if, if the Biden administration has pretty much nothing to show for it. And just to quickly add on that, I, I really do think you brought up a really interesting point and, and I think we're, <clears throat> we said we we're going to end this conversation, but I think that we should talk about this, which is Thomas Piketty, a very famous French economist who recently wrote this book, Capital and Ideology, Analyzing Trends of Inequalities Throughout History. He wrote something very interesting, which is that since 2016, what we saw in France, in the U.S., was that political parties and political spectrum, he characterizes as four different parts. The socially liberal, but inegalitarian and socially liberal but egalitarian so inegalitarian would be someone like what he would say the centrist like Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden who wouldn't vouch for radical redistribution and you got the egalitarian ones like you know the socialists or communists or whatever I mean in France it will be literally a communist party or something yeah. so you have those and on the, on the, on the you have the socially conservative and inegalitarian and socially con conservative and egalitarian people. But what we saw, as what you said, was that the rise of Trump was that he wasn't really just in egalitarian where he got there. He was just far right, more far right than the traditional is dem uh, uh, conservative establishment in a weird way. It's not just he is, you know, like completely like the German party, something like the German alternative for Germany or some other European parties who, who 
based their entire campaign platform on anti-immigration, right? Trump came into office and what he did was very clear, bread and butter, middle of the road, uh, socially inegalitarian, so, uh, socially conservative policies and, and that the majority of the, of the base received. And still, he has this kind of weird thing of like, oh, build the wall, uh, you know, Muslim ban that never really got went through, but, but really did appeal to his base, the, the socially conservative and, and really, you know, get those things going people. So the, the Republican Party was just had a perfect cohesion under, under Trump. And the Democratic Party is still split between those who are inegalitarian and egalitarian. And, and um, I, I think we're, we're seeing that more than, more than ever in this election. It's, it's a problem. It's, it's a problem that continues to reveal itself. Um, and without, you know, in 2008, you had a sort of unifying figure like Barack Obama who came in. And again, it was, yeah. it was a big referendum election. With, and, and without that figure in the Democratic Party, you know, I think Joe Biden will be president like, like Barack Obama was, but I don't think he will be the leader of the Democratic Party in the same way that he was, if that wow. makes sense. Wow. I, think, I think he is leading a very, very fractured party through in a very, very fractured country. Um, and yeah, again, to your, to your point, there, there's just, the Democratic Party is trying to be everything to everyone at once, um, and, it's and, it's not, and it's not working. So, and, and I think maybe one quick last point we would bring up is, uh, I keep hearing the phrase Lincoln Project, <laughs> yes. which is uh, the supposedly those who are anti-Trump within the Republican Party, those are the true Republicans, whatever. And then our friend Max brought it up at dinner that day, and he was, and, and our other friend Jake and I were just like, "What are you saying? We've never heard of this thing. This thing it does not, it doesn't actually push through any legislations. It's like a quasi think type tank type of thing, would publish some reports and drop some ads, but you don't have actual, you know, influence per se." So, again, I really don't think that the future of American conservatism or the future of American Republican Party in the next couple of years will be led by a, you know, return to John McCain, return to Mitt Romney style, a rejection of Trumpism. People realize, oh, the Trump didn't work out. We should, it's, it's just a blip. What are you saying? I mean, I mean, people were entertaining this scenario a year ago. They were saying, what if Trump loses? I was entertaining this scenario four days ago. Yeah, yeah. people were saying, if Trump really lost, what, what would happen to the Republican Party? Would they, would they really treat this as a blip? Would they treat this as a continuation, whatever? I mean, I think that I think that argument is still today because, again, this is why we were uh, for partially why Democrats, in addition to actually you know getting power and getting what they want, they wanted the wholesale repudiation of Trumpism as an ideology. They want to never hear the word Trump again. They want just just like how in the Republican Party, you know, a, a, someone from the Bush family is probably never going to win a, a, a primary. Um, for the presidential, you know, election in, in, uh, in the Republican Party. They wanted to completely reject everything Trump stands for. They want him to never have a voice. That hasn't happened. And Trump, even when he loses, and I think, again, he will lose this election, he's not going anywhere. Whether he sets up his preferred candidate in 2024 or, in your scenario, even runs for himself yep. again, yep. The, the Republican Party today and in the next year <laughs> is, is more firmly in the, in the palm of Trump's hands than, than it ever has um, and, and, in the and past. And to be honest, this election... It's even somewhat of a confirmation of their, of, of their progress. Absolutely. So back this four four more years, we actually did great, which is picked up more votes than twenty sixteen, picked up more uh, votes in in, the, in minority groups. Uh, yeah, every, everybody loves me. And, 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 and we were all like, oh, they're they're, they're going to punish Republicans for for just pushing through a Supreme Court nomination while people don't have their checks. Clearly, that has not happened. That did clearly, not, yes. Clearly, the ideology of build back better does not get people out to the polls. So, we'll we'll have to we'll see. We'll we'll I I don't know. This the is, the post mortem will continue. I'm sure for yes. years to come. Yes. But it's very. You should be very concerned. I think if you're a Democrat. I think you you need to seriously adjust your cognitive dissonance and stop believing that this is somehow a repudiation or a rejection of Trumpism. Uh, I don't mean to call hindsight 2020. I've been saying this for a long, long time that Trump is, is has actually more, way more support than people people think he has, and and I I just don't think like 
to so many people he's that bad. I mean, he is, I mean, the, and, and I think conservative liberals on the, on the left side, if you really need to see, want to seriously update your beliefs and seriously entertain things, you need to start having those difficult questions, which is, to us, maybe Trump was bad, but is he actually that bad to so many people? You have to be able to have those conversations. If even bring up the question, is Trump that bad? Or even bring up the question, is Republican Party that bad? If bring that question already triggers you and, and makes you say, oh, I'm just not going to have this conversation with you because you're in a different shared reality. Uh, you're an immediate racist and xenophobic. I'm just, please unfriend me. If you are that person, you, you will probably not help the Democrats heal and recover and find a solution to tackle Trumpism. Um, I, 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 that is really what, what I think. And again, this is not a partisan political statement in any way about whether Trumpism or, or Democrats are, are good or bad or whatever. I have no leaning in, in this in, the, in my official capacity as, a, as the podcast host. But I just find it really, really interesting of the cognitive dissonance. So any concluding thoughts, Mark? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's a scary time, I think, to, to be, <laughs> okay, to, to be an American. Um, you're fine. You're fine. We're fine, but we're not also. Because, again, you, you, you would hope, everyone had hoped, right, that Trump is an aberration, that this thing is we're going to reunify the country, that Joe Biden's going to come in here tonight or, or on November 3rd and, and bring, bring us all back together. Um, and that hasn't happened. For, for better or for worse, the old sort of centrist liberal order is clearly not working, a, a working and clearly not a necessarily winning strategy. Um, and I, my hope is that the Biden team and the Biden transition and the Biden administration really thinks about how they're going to win back these voters in, in future elections and how the Democratic Party is going to win back Americans, basically, across this country, in cities and in rural areas and the suburbs, um, and, and, and in a platform that works for everyone, because this, this isn't sustainable. Just winning the presidency every four years and getting absolutely destroyed um, in, in legislative house districts and across in state houses is, is not a sustainable path to victory, and it's not really a victory at all, in a way. So. Yeah, um, I, so whenever I feel like, when I, for example, s s say this kind of statement like, uh, we're fine, a lot of my friends would say, we're not fine because you don't understand, because you're, for example, not a woman, you are not someone of the LGBTQ community, you are not uh, a black person, so you don't understand the pain. So I would personally, just to try to dig myself out of the hole here, <laughs> I, I did briefly felt that when Trump ordered the ICE to deport all the international students a couple months ago, back in summer, there was a serious couple of weeks when I thought I was going to be booted out of the country because online school means you can't stay in the country anymore. And I, and I felt that way, obviously, certainly not as, you know, dangerously, you know, it wasn't like as visceral as, you know, I feel like many other um, people would, would feel, but, I, but I, I keep hearing this, this, this thing, which is like, if Trump wins, you have to move to Canada. Or, or either that, either either people think that's ridiculous, or people actually just say you don't understand our pain and things like. That. So I, I, I think that this is, yes, Trump is not here, but it doesn't mean those fears are, are definitely going away in some sense. So yeah, that's why you said it's a scary time. It's kind of an uncertain time. I think we'll still continue to face radical uncertainty. That that would probably be my concluding policy punchline, which is that. We, we, we think we understand things. We think we built out the, the best model we could. Posters did, forecasters did. I still, to clarify the record, I really respect Nate Silver's work and what he does. It's just the polls were wrong, so it's garbage data in and garbage data out. So it's not his fault per se and things like that, but you, you, you realize things happen right now in a way that shatters your previous narrative. And that is why I think we should listen to more like people like Joe Rogan or Eric Weinstein or whatever. Not saying they are right per se, but, but, but to expose yourself to counter mainstream narratives and to entertain the possibility of something that you've never heard of before. And, and I think that's quite important for, for my personal growth. I think going forward, I'm gonna start you know, educating myself on those matters, just like we did when Black Lives Matter happened and people said, 
we should go out there and, and seek out those literature and, and read them and get ourselves educated. I think it's the same moment in, in, in time where people should get out of their, their bubbles and, and, and expose themselves to very unorthodox ideas in order to prepare for the next radical uncertainty because it's going to happen soon. In 2022, in some other election, in 2024 or something. I don't know if you agree. You seem to be, you seem to be pissed about the fact that I said we should listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Joe Rogan is uh, not the smartest individual, in my opinion, but uh, or his show isn't. He's, I'm sure he's a very smart guy. But I, I think from a coalition-building perspective, yes, Tiger, I think it's important to understand everyone's perspectives and to see where the other side is coming from. Again, like, like how Andrew Yang said, and, and what is important to them and what they will vote for, what they won't vote for, um, and what they, what they need to hear and what they need to hear from the Democrats about what the plan is for their, for their issues. But at the same time, I think that that kind of thinking leads us into the, the hole that Joe Biden sort of put himself in and the Democrats put themselves in, where they tried to- when, The when, coalition build. Yes, where they, tried, where, where they thought that having the least amount to say possible and just being the least offensive person possible and just sort of chill in Delaware and just wait for this thing to end itself, it, it'll get you the presidency, but it won't get you the Senate, and it won't get you any meaning, like an incredible, progress. meaningful progress in what you want to accomplish. Um, so I agree, but I disagree, and that's all I have to say. I agree and I disagree. Yes, we have some uh, pessimistic stuff recorded here for you. Thanks, thanks so much for for listening today. I mean, we are uh, we're we're. Um, going to continue bringing you more insights through our interviews. We have some exciting people coming on. Vox Media co-founder Matt Iglesias is coming on soon. Uh, Jim Vandeheim, who co-founds Axios and Politico, is coming on next week. Uh, exciting conversations. We'll continue to think about those important political issues. And uh, by the way, Dave Wasserman, who uh, does uh, uh, forecasting on, on, on the frontier of doing these things, He's coming on in January as well. So we hope to continue having those deeper fundamental conversations for our listeners. And maybe we'll figure out what the hell is going on, man. So uh, thanks so much for listening today. Uh, We shall see you next time. You've been listening to Policy Punchline, a podcast generously supported by the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance at Princeton University. We would also like to encourage you to follow other podcasts produced by Princeton University, such as Politics and Polls by the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Policy Punchline is intended to be informational only and does not reflect nor represent the views of Princeton University or the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance. For more information on subscription, donation, volunteering, or contact, please visit policypunchline.com. Thank you again for listening.